Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Madam Adams, Madam Cindy Adams from the New York Post. You can get me, you better get me, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I have been there since I don't know how long, but before the paper was even born, I was there. And I am now on WABC every Sunday from 1 to 2, the station that my friend John Katsimatidis owns and runs, and he just gave me a birthday party. So I want to tell you about, I'm sad, the Harry Belafonte I knew. In 99, he bought three pair of socks for $5. In 04, he shopped at Tender Buttons. And in 1990, he was voted the top fashionable gent. His best Thanksgiving ever, we were talking about it, and he told me it was the year Nelson Mandela was released. In 84, we were involved in world disarmament. In 99, he was on to a PSA for the Board of Elections, and he was consultant to ABC's Civil Rights Special. In 87, the American Image Awards, he called Jesse Jackson Mr. President. I was there with him. In 01, we had a dinner together in the plaza, and he broke out singing Day O. And once, a respected Chicago columnist wrote him, Care of Me. We dined together before an RFK auction. There was a producer named Pierre Cosette who booked him in Vegas, but he could not stay in that same hotel in which he was performing. About the east side apartment he couldn't get in, he said. The owner blanched when I walked in. I knew my special friend forever. Unfortunately, as of this week, forever is now over. Okay, okay. I want to tell you, I want to tell you about an Emmy and Golden Glober, all in the families, Sally Struthers. She's in the new R-rated horror film, Evil Sublet. I'm going to tell you about this because this is a really evil apartment. About the story, the story is filmed in a really actual junko East Village flat. It's been long thought to be haunted. It is haunted. The dialogue in the movie actually said, well, who cares if it's cursed? The rent is cheap and it's an eat-in kitchen. Yeah, okay, then begins the scary sexy ride as murderous ghost roommates move in. 
I'm telling you all this because the place was actually experiencing ghosts while they were filming. Actual paranormal activity while shooting got kept in the footage. Lights went on and off on their own. A cold hand grabbed one actress. A strange voice in the dark of night shrieked, Move! Also, 200 live but ghostified faces, real live people, are hidden throughout the film. That's because the actual partial funding of this project was by those people who wanted to play spook. The movie's called Evil Sublet. It premieres May 6th. And where does it premiere? The Coney Island Film Festival. Who the hell knew there was a Coney Island Film Festival? But I guess how better to show, to show this kind of a movie than inside America's number one sideshow. I, I want to bitch about someone. Twice in 2022, I reported the ex-Governor Cuomo's former pit bull, Melissa DeRosa, was writing a Bark at All book. I wrote, quote, this former staffer was writing a book, and I reported everyone's writing a book, including illiterates. And she's calling around to get a party hosted for her. This is what I wrote. From her, instantly, came growls, snarls, and the equivalent of dog pooping. I wouldn't nibble her Alpo treats if I were she. She called me a liar. She said I don't know what I'm talking about. Listen to me, listeners. I know what I'm talking about. And I know right now who she is talking to. And about what? I'm also saying her book is now out. The one she said she wasn't writing. So this is to say, better she shuts up before I tie a leash on her and take away her wee-wee pads. Okay? I got a lot of other stuff to tell you. Listen. Trump was in Florida's Fort Myers. Leaving, he sent their police department eight pizzas for the night shift cops. DeSantis heard and dialed around to be sure nothing about Trump's pizzas got posted to social media. Ha! Too late. They had. Between Mickey Mouse and Pizza Pizzazz, Ron is now O for 2. Wait, I got a lot of other things I want to tell you. I want to tell you. Fan mail, fan mail. Forget suggestions on what I can do to myself, although some ideas they're sending me sound interesting. Here's others. Somebody suggested doing sign, signs like somebody from Central Park West, her name is Bunny, suggested a sign that said, for a gynecologist, the sign should read, at your cervix. An electrician, we remove your shorts. Car dealership, get back on your feet, miss a car payment. Plumber, don't sleep with a drip, call us. Electrician, forget your bill, you'll be delighted. 
optometrist. Can't see what you're looking for. You're in the right place. Wait more. Restaurant. Come in. Get fed up. A radiator shop. These are letters that are sent to me. I am not making this up. The radiator shop idea was best place to handle a leak. Muffler shop. No appointment needed. We hear you coming. A muffler shop. I don't know whether they sell these mufflers, but this is the idea that the lady wrote me. And a shoe repair will heal you, save your soul, die for you. Window truck. Venetian blind man driving. Wait, I got another, another few. Uh, uh, somebody from Boca. Her name is Lee. I enjoy the post. However, your recent column was appalling, albeit it was amusing. But don't knock Florida. Brain power is required to decide which restaurant to try that offers an early bird special. So, forget Westbury's Francine, who suggests meeting me. She said to me, together, you and I can fix the world. Oy. And Mr. Patterson writes in red, I assure you, we read the New York Post in D.C. I also want to tell you, I just had a birthday. And this is not because I went to charm school, I'm telling you. It's just because I've lived longer than almost everyone else. And John Katsimatidis, who owns this radio station, and his wife, Margot Katsimatidis, of whom you may have heard, gave me a dinner. No VIPs, just the cardinal, the mayor, the governor, WABC President Chad Lopez, and Judge Judy, all discussing the USA and NYC. It was atop Manhattan's newest West 57th skyscraper. Margot Katsimatidis arranged for me posters, masks, cake, personalized jewelry with my photo, key rings, names carved in wood, violinist, pianist, sit-down dinner, and it was in and on the 100th floor's private all-window restaurant in the Cubed Club, 1,000 feet over New York City. The John paper was larger than John Katsimatidi's wallet. I got to tell you, I am now about to take a break and interview someone you will love to listen to, and then I'll be right back. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC. I am now speaking with Nancy Chemtov. Nancy is a top New York City divorce attorney, and being divorced once herself, she knows of what she speaks. Okay, Nancy, you high-class lawyers, why did you decide growing up to be a lawyer? I come from a family of lawyers. My father, my three uncles, my sister, uh, my grandfather. So there really was no choice. I had wanted to be a fashion designer, and that didn't work out. So I went to law school and my mother said to me that I at least figured out a way to pay for fashion by being a lawyer. Okay, so <laughs> this I can understand. And why specialize in divorce? I really believe that my growing up, my dad died when I was 13. 
And I, all of a sudden, my mom was left supporting my sister and me. My sister's also an attorney. And she went from being, uh, you know, she worked, she owned a newspaper, but she wasn't the breadwinner. And all of a sudden, my dad died, and she had to take over all of the financial, you know, raising kids, everything that has to do with children and money. And I think that that's the reason why I have such a strong feeling that when people come into my office, the most important thing are the kids. You know, the the spouses can fight. They can do whatever they want to do. But as long as the kids are okay, then everybody will be okay. And I also feel as if I understand what it's like to be, you know, a child with not two cohesive parents. First, tell me, how do you pronounce your last name? Chemtob or Chemtov? Chemtob. Chemtov. That's a and very interesting name. It. Sound, it sounds Russian or something. It's a great name. Thank you. It's actually, I'll tell you the truth. It's actually Shemtob, which is Shemtov, which means good name in Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was, I, actually, I knew it was something. I knew it was something. Right, oh, tell it's me. It's actually my ex-husband's name. So I just want to let you know that I myself got divorced, which was not fun. And having lived through a divorce, I feel like somebody put a, you know, hex on me and said, if you want to live in this, you know, high-powered divorce world, we're going to show you all the horrible things that actually happened. So, why why did you dump your husband? Oh, he was doing what some bad people do, you know, having an affair and things like that. But they all do. They all do. They all do. I think there are still some good ones out there. I have a good one now. I remarried. Ah, how long are you married? Since 2018. Those are excellent. So that's good. A muzzle tough to you. Okay. People are not marrying today like they used to. Aren't they just like more living together? I absolutely think that people are still marrying. Maybe I'm seeing it more and more. Um, I really think that ever since the Same-Sex Marriage Act passed, there's been an influx of many, many more marriages. So I understand what you're saying, that there are people who are not deciding to get married. Uh, However, I have to tell you something. We are busting with business. (laughs) do you want to give me your office address too in case someone's listening go ahead (laughs) where is your office where is your office it's on 54th and madison very good you're very convenient okay so anybody who's getting married today they should take it down all right i'm going onward actually i'll I'll send one of those bakery you know things where you pull a ticket to get in line Uh, listen I have known people, lawyers, a thousand years. Why is the divorce court so effed up? Right now, I really do believe COVID had a lot to do with it. I hate to blame it on COVID, but before COVID, it was much more efficient. You would go in, you would meet the judge, everybody, you know, their clients would come in um, and things would get settled in the hallways. There was a law secretary who worked for the judge and they would bring you in the back and they would, you know, beat you into submission. I don't think the court system is to blame as much as the clients who want to keep going and fighting. Oh, so I, I, you know, I would say that 90 percent of my cases settle out of court. 
and then the 10% go to trial. So we really, really work hard behind the scenes to settle a case um, without going to court. But if there's a case in court, it means they're really fighting about something. So that's why it takes so long, if that makes sense. I don't know if it makes sense, but I understand what you're saying. Don't they also fight about a dog or kids or money? (laughs) I mean, they're fighting about so many cockamamie things today. What are they fighting about? Oh, well, I I have to tell you that I know you're a big fan of your former dog, and I just (laughs) give you a big kiss for that. So when I do have a dog case, I understand. Um, They're fighting about custody. They're fighting about money. They're fighting about the house, who's getting it. There's just a lot to fight about. And the people actually go back to court after they may have settled um, for a relocation. One of the parents wants to move. It just keeps going on. I mean, I have have several cases right now that I settled a few years ago, and they're back for other reasons. Now, if we have two of the same sex divorcing, in the old days, if a divorce was coming about, these are your shoes, these are mine. This is your handbag, this is not your handbag. I'm a man, this is my wallet. But now if it's the same sex, the, the jacket could belong to two, the, the <laughs> two of them, the handbag could belong to two of them. So how do you make that work? That's that's an excellent question. I've been asked so many questions, and this is a first, but I will tell you my answer, is that what we do is we just put it all on a list, and we get it appraised if there's value. And if it's a Birkin bag, and there's only one, and it's worth $10,000, then you got $10,000 on your column. And then if the two pieces of jewelry are worth five each, then you can take both and get 10. So what we do is we'll appraise the assets and then we'll have them distributed and we'll basically flip coins to who goes first. Okay, when you explain it, it sounds so nice and easy, but if I had a Birkin and he wants, she wants the Birkin, it's the same one cockamamie Birkin and it's not money, it's the damn stupid bag. How do you fight over who gets custody of the bag well it's the same with the art and the car and everything and what i tell my clients is whatever you absolutely want if you want that birkin no matter what tell your spouse that you don't want the birkin and then all of a sudden you'll end up getting it because (laughs) there's so much animosity that people always want what the other one has or wants um uh are celebrities more pains in the behind than normal people? I have to tell you something. I've had really, really good experiences with celebrities. I really have. Um, and I find them to be humble and kind. Oh, who's humble? And- tell me what celebrity <laughs> is humble. No matter what I say, you manage to make gloss over it. I can't believe I you. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I will tell you, and I, it's public that I represented her, but I have to tell you that Mary Kate Olsen has to be the nicest person in the world. Okay, mazel tov. Yeah, okay, go lady. on. All I'm right. getting a lot of mazel tovs here. <laughs> um, you know, listen, I've had, the, I've had the celebrities that come in and think they don't have to pay. 
So I see uh, it all. Uh, 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 uh. But do they have to pay like everybody else? Everybody else. Even when I have a client who I've had some bad clients um, and they think they're very, very important. And I have fired two of those people that everybody would know who they are. And they're like, you can't fire me. And I say, yes, I can fire you. I charge you as much as I charge my client who's paying by credit card and has debt. So at least that's on the sanity that my office has is that we, you know, take everybody and anybody as long as they're nice, kind, and pay their bills. Why are you types so very expensive? Me or attorneys? What's the difference? I'll take any answer. I'm flexible. What's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> you guys, you guys are very expensive. The only the time, the only time we have to sell is our time. I have no. I have. You know, people will come to my office and say, "I've already paid you a hundred thousand dollars. I don't think I should pay you anymore." And I say, well, if you went to Bergdorf Goodman and you bought $100,000 worth of stuff, would you go tell them that you now should get a free clothing? So it's, it's literally the only thing we have to sell is our time. And that's it. So I think that's why we're expensive. That's, and we a, do, that's listen, a good answer. That's a good answer. I don't believe it, but do, that's a good answer. <laughs> oh my god it's such a pleasure to talk to you i've known you since i grew up in long island and i was born in 1965 and i have always admired you thank you i'm flexible but that's not it i don't believe anything any of that answer listen who did you go to when you got your divorce i went to bob Cohn. i don't know what that is what does that mean is that supposed oh, to be bob somebody Cohn? great oh, oh bob, bob oh yeah okay 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 did you have to pay him i sure did Oh, okay. I kind of think I overpaid him, but that's a joke. Oh, but that's automatic. Like my clients, you know how every single client thinks they were overpaid. So like I said to you, you know, it's living through my divorce made me so much more compassionate than I was before. And I thought I was compassionate then. Your story has touched my heart. Did he get married again, the ex-husband? No, but he's living with a girlfriend. Ah, uh, maybe you'll get something out of that. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I have three great boys from him, so at least that's good. Are they going to be lawyers? I am. Uh, the jury is not out yet. I'm not sure. I think one of three should, right? So they could take over this office. Give me one nice story. You're not going to tell me the names I know, but I'd like to hear one divorce story and how it worked out. Can you um, dredge up one? <laughs> <laughs> I can dredge up a few. Well, um, go ahead. I have okay. I, you know, I the the really nicest story was when I had this client, and there there was very serious acrimony. And I, what I try to do is I really, really try to keep people together. If somebody comes to me and says I want to get divorced, and they tell you know they give me all their reasons why. Um, I, I try to say, you know, in two years from now, you'll be married to somebody else and that person will be equally annoying. So my nice divorce story, which is that I was referred to a client, a client by a psychiatrist. And he said to me, these people, you know, they're my best friends. I really don't know why they're getting divorced. And um, 
and if there's anything you can do, but it's hopeless. So I basically had probably a year of litigation, but I kept really trying to get them back together and say, you know, this is nonsense. And at the end, they ended up getting back together. The psychiatrist wrote me a letter and said, I can't believe that I was a psychiatrist and the family counselor. (laughs) (laughs) And I actually sent them to you for a divorce and you managed to get them back together. So I think that that's one of my good ones. Listen, Nancy, I am not married and I'm not getting a divorce. Well, well, I was. I was married for. I know you were. I was married for a lifetime. But right now I have my dog. I love my dog madly, a boy dog, and that's what I come home to. And actually, I enjoy talking to you. I'm not coming to you professionally, but I definitely enjoy talking to you. Well, I enjoy talking to you, too. I want to go on that tour with you on the Gilded Age with the gentleman who did the New York City podcast with you. Who doesn't? What are you talking about? You just did a podcast with a gentleman who was a tour guide. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I wouldn't mind doing that, too. After we we hang up. together. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I have to make sure I have your particulars when we hang up. You have to give me your name, phone number, address, and stuff. We'll we'll do that. We'll do that together. But you're not going to charge me, right? Not at all. It's a pleasure to talk. And we can bring our dogs. (laughs) A pleasure to talk to you, Thank you for having me. Thanks, lovey. Thank you, honey. Bye-bye. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. I am now about to speak to an old friend, the great, terrific talent, Alan Cumming. He has a slight Scottish brogue and is currently, as we speak, in a car going to Boston. Alan Cumming, he's everywhere. He's on TV, Broadway, movies, cabaret, Carlisle. What did you do at the Carlisle? I did, uh, the most recent one, I did a show, it's called Och and Oi, and I did it with Ari Shapiro from NPR, and uh, it's called Och and Oi because I'm Scottish and he's Jewish, and it's a little uh, two-man cabaret. But how did you get this down, stupid? You've done everything and you're such a professional, but how did you know what to do in cabaret at the Carlisle? How did you know what to do? Um, Well, we just sort of, uh, we've been working on this show, and it's sort of like about, you know, we're like two different kind of people and uh, he's from NPR and he's a serious journalist and I'm me and we just sort of uh, sing songs and tell funny stories about how actually we're much more alike than we, than we thought. So you just kind of like, you know, you read the room, Cindy, you play the crowd. No, I know. Yeah, I know. I know. What did you do? How did you handle, because I know all about this, having been married to Joey, how did you handle, if you had any, drunks or hecklers or stuff like that, people having drinks or eating? Yes. Well, we have, I mean, it's, I'm vegan. So when you walk on stage and this waft of steak or you know, shrimp coming towards you, that's not so nice immediately. But there were some drunks and there were some people, you know, so it's, it's, it's funny, you don't think of the Carlisle, you get hecklers, but you do. So I, I, I quite enjoy them. I kind of engage with them. And uh, there's one lady and she was talking and, and I was like, hey, you know, what, uh, can we, I'm, I'm up here, can you talk to me? And she was like, I'm just saying how much I love you and I can't wait to come again. I said, well, why don't you just enjoy it now and then talk about that later? And uh, so I, always, I, I, I quite enjoy a bit of heckling. There was an old couple who were really, really drunk and were kind of having a fight. Yeah. And I sort of said to them, 
are you okay? And the lady went, no. (laughs) And I went, are you having having a sort of domestic? And they were just, you know, I think that's the thing in the Carlisle. If you come early and you start on your martinis like an hour or so before the show starts, you can be pretty smashed by the time we walk on stage. So you have to be ready to have a few quips up your sleeve. I think part of your years on Broadway might have helped because that makes you easy. It's not like you just need a camera or or to memorize. It takes a lot to do stuff like that. It does. It does. I think so because, you know, you've got to be a performer, but you've also got to be nimble and be able to deal with the unexpected. And and I quite quite like it. And also, you know, when you actually engage with someone who's being disruptive, the other members of the audience really like it. They, 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 you're not doing it on your own. They're obviously hearing this person being a bit drunk or shouting for their friends as well. So I always like, and in a funny way, I really like that I have a heckler because it's sort of, sort of exciting and new. I think it's scary because I've done some of it, but I, I always get scared. What's the difference in audiences if you're doing live stuff in other cities? What's the difference if you're working in New York? as opposed to if you should be working in Cleveland or some damn thing? Uh, well, I was actually just in Florida last week. I was in Gainesville and Boca Raton. I mean, I think in a way, New York audiences are up for it from the words go. And I think um, outside of New York, they're kind of, it just takes a wee, I mean, by the end, they're the same. But I just think people, you know, they're just, they just take a little longer to get warmed up. I, I find like American audiences in general are much more prepared to go with you and to sort of, yeah, of know, course, uh, go for the ride than, than people outside of America, certainly in London. Do Scots such as you are, Scottish people have a good sense of humor? I think so. I think we have a very, we have a very dark sense of humor. We have a, a saying in Scotland, which is you have to laugh or you'd greet, which means you cry, you have to laugh or you'd cry. So we are always laughing at the most inappropriate things. And, you know, when people die or people fall over, we love that. Like, you love when people die? Thing. You laugh at that? Well, yes. I mean, there's a lot of laughter at funerals in Scotland and things like that. We just try and find, we find humour in the darkest things. Because, you know, you have to. I think that's what, you have to find humour in. Because you have to laugh or you greet. So, yeah, I, I actually really enjoy it. And I like, I quite like, Again, it's that kind of naughty thing of saying the thing that everybody thinks but doesn't really want to say. It's kind of like that. <laughs> so what do you guys wear under the kilt? <laughs> I mean, I've never really been that far under a guy's kilt. Do you mind telling me? Do you wear drawers? What do you wear? You need to get out more. No, uh, I don't wear anything. I mean, the sort of traditional thing is you don't wear anything. Some people do, but it's actually, uh, that's the sort of tradition, and, and I don't. It feels really nice because it sort of, you know, gets the air up there. And also it's a very, I think people associate wearing a kilt in some, some people, a, a sort of a feminine thing because it's like a skirt. It actually feels very manly because you're, you're kind of open to the elements and everything feels very natural. And uh, it's a very, and also you've got your sporran, which is the little bag, you know, that you wear around your waist. And that <laughs> yes, kind of I know, kind of I know, things, I know. That holds things down, so nothing. If, it, if the wind blows it up, you don't, you don't get a view of the, of the crown jewels. Where did an Alan Cumming begin? How did you start getting into show business from Scotland? Well, I was, um, I grew up in the northeast of 
Scotland and Angus. And I, I guess I did plays at school and, uh, you know, after school, uh, a, a local theatre club in a little town. And then I just, when I was 17, I went to drama school at the Royal Scottish Academy. And I just, it was the only thing I ever wanted to do. I, I, I didn't really have a backup plan. And I just, I just, I realised I was good at something and I stuck to it, Cindy. You know what I mean? Yeah. You yeah. just stick to it. When you're good, stick to it. That's what I did. How were you in school? Were you a lousy student or a good one? No, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I was kind of, you know, head down. And I, yeah, I got good grades and things. And I sort of left school. Actually, before I went to drama school, I, I'd left high school early. And I, I, um, I was too young to go to drama school. So I got a job for a year with this publishing company. And I, I actually wrote um, horoscopes for a newspaper, for the Dundee Evening Telegraph newspaper. Oh, my birthday was this week. What would my horoscope be? Do you know? Yes, I do. Yes. Let me what, think. what, what? Uh, so what? What star sign are you? You're a... Taurus the bull. A, a Taurus. Yes, Taurus. Let me think. It's coming through. Uranus is returning, Cindy. What's, re- so what's turning? Think, what's turning? Uranus. Yeah. Uranus is returning. So I think this would be a good time to clean out your closet. Metaphorically and literally. Well, I don't know what the hell you just said. Tell me again. Say it slowly because I'm getting limited. What? Tell me slowly. What is going to happen to me? Uranus is returning. That means the planet's coming back into your system. And so, therefore, it'd be a good time for you to clean out your closet. Okay, okay, I got that. That note, I'm going to clean out my closet. Says nothing about my future, my health, my wealth, my my talent. Oh, nothing. I should just clean out a closet. Good. Oh, for God's sake! Good. I think you should. Uh, I think you should um, have your postponed 90th birthday party as soon as possible. <laughs> I'm going to do it. I tell you, that's my that's my that's the thing I hate most about COVID that your 90th birthday party was postponed. Listen, as, as far as I can see, you haven't screwed up anything. What about in, on Broadway? Did you ever lose your drawers? Did you ever forget the, the lyrics? Nothing, because I did Broadway, and I was lousy, and I messed up. Did you not ever lo- forget a line or some such? Yes, I do. And I, I, I think the thing is, that when I do concerts, I often say to the band, oh, can we start again? And <laughs> I just feel like the thing about when you make a mistake is not to... Obviously, when it's in a play, you've got to be more, you've got to hide it more. But I just feel it's more about not pretending that you haven't made a mistake. I think audiences love when you make a mistake and you, and you tell them. So I just sort of, uh, I, 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 I don't try and cover it up. I just, and I do it, right? But I often forget words, especially in songs. And I just say, I often start songs again. And I think people really enjoy that. It makes you seem like you're being authentic. So you actually stop and start again, start a song again? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm on the way to Boston now to do a show, and my Henry, my musical director, said the next month, he will testify that I often say, oh, let's start again. Because so listen, okay, you, you just came back from a trip with one of my closest long-time forever friends. Jeffrey. And Yes, Jeffrey, of course. And you were in the Himalayas. What were you doing in the downtown Himalayas? What were you doing there? Just seeing the Himalayas? Not much to do. I, no, I was, I'd been in Australia and New Zealand doing concerts, and then Jeffrey 
was going on this trip to Bhutan and he asked yes, me along yes, and I just had yes. the most magical time. It's so, I mean, he's such, you know, he's a great person to travel with and he's just so... He's great, he's great. And so am I and I, and we just had a magical time. We had a guide and we went to all these monasteries and, and, and we have lovely hotels there as well and it was just sort of magical to be, you know how nowadays it's so rare that you are, have culture shock because everything when you travel <laughs> is so easy and sort of generic and so when you go somewhere where you have no idea what's going on that to me is bliss i love this i've traveled a lot with jeffrey when we were in in sikkim which is in the himalayas i knew the queen the queen of sikkim she was an american from massachusetts or something but it's terrific to be there what about the height it didn't bother you it did yes when we went there's a like the altitude's really it affects you i felt really like I thought I was having a heart attack, and I didn't realize it was the, it was the altitude. And then when you, we went up that, um, you know, there's a temple built onto a mountain. It's called Tiger's Nest. Yes, yes, and yes, yes. And that was insane. We climbed up to the very top. Actually, Jeffy didn't come. But the other, the two girls that were on the trip to Rio went up, and it was so, you have to really be careful because you have to stop and catch your breath because you're really high up anyway, and then you go up a few uh, thousand meters up the top of this mountain. But it was good. I kind of, you know, no die. Listen, you wrote an autobio, Not My Father's Son. You said you did not yeah. have a good relationship with a parent. Are you able to tell us a little bit yeah. about what you meant? Um, yes, I, I, you know, I had a father physically and emotionally, and uh, I... And he wasn't, you know, he wasn't in my life um, for a very long time uh, as an adult, uh, in neither my brother or my mum's life for years and years, decades. And then all of a sudden, he came back into my life because of, I was doing that BBC uh, television show, uh, Who Do You Think You Are? You know, the genealogy show, they trace your family yeah. roots. And yeah. he, he heard that I was going to do that, and he thought that um, he came forward and, and told me that I wasn't his biological son because he thought I was going to find that out on the TV show. Oh, all of a sudden, I was finding all this stuff out about my maternal grandfather who died in Malaysia playing Russian roulette. And at the same time, my father told me I wasn't his biological son. So it was an insane summer and I had to deal with my father again. And uh, and then after that, and it, he died. And uh, and so, I, so I, in, in a way, I wrote that book because... I just had to get it out and had to kind of put it out into the world and to, you know, it was so insane and so difficult to deal with. And I just, it was really confusing actually to write a book about something so traumatic. I and, understand and that, then, yes. Yes, I know you do, yes. So it was, you know, it was a lot, but uh, I think, you know, you. it's one of these things that I wait uh I wish that that hadn't happened, but also I am the person I am today because of all those things. And so you can't really regret stuff if you're happy where you are in your life now. Okay, there's one more story. I know you're schlepping to Boston and you're in a car. It's <laughs> difficult to be doing this. But I don't want to ask you, what was your story about not taking the OBE? Tell me that. Oh, well, I, well, the thing was, I took it. So in 2009, I was given an OBE. Uh, for for services to the arts, but also for uh, fighting for LGBT equality, for gay equality and for yeah. gay marriage in America, especially. 
So I was really grateful because it brought a lot of attention to the marriage equality fight, and I and I accepted it, and I really that was what really swayed me, and I thought that would be a really good thing to show that the British government and monarchy was um, honouring me for for that work. So I did that, but then. As the years went by, and especially after the Queen died, I just sort of thought a lot more and, and found out a lot more, and there was lots more discussion about the, the role of uh, the empire and the damage that the, you know, the British Empire had done to various countries and indigenous peoples. And I just felt like the good stuff that it, it had given me about, about for gay equality, um, it had done that purpose, and now I just felt that I... I felt really compromised about being associated with the notion of empire and all the damage that that had caused. And I just decided to give it back. Very gratefully, very kindly, I gave it back to them. And then when I announced that I'd given it back, it just was insane. It just sort of broke the internet and caused a huge fuss. But the funny thing is that um, when you give it back, they were very nice about it. And they said... um, Oh, well, okay, we understand, and you know, we'll keep it for you if you ever change your mind. We've got it. Oh, here. how we're adorable! Maybe you'll get it from <laughs> Prince Harry. You should excuse the expression. Okay, okay, that would be nice. Listen, I know you've got so much, and I know you're schlepping on the road, so I can't make it longer. But I have to ask you you've done a lot, Alan. What is left? What would you like to do that you haven't? already done what would you like to try i don't know you know i i i sort of feel like one of the reasons why i have this eclectic career and uh, is that i keep myself open to possibility of things you know now i'm hosting this so that this thing called the traitors it's like a reality competition show set in a castle in scotland who would have thought i would ever do that but i just they asked me and i just thought that sounds fun and i i just it's not that i have things that i've sort of yearning to do. I just feel it's good to be open to new things and to possibility and not to feel that I've got a certain track. I just have bounced around and, and, and luckily done things that I really enjoyed. And that's what I'm, so that's what I'm continuing to do. The next, I'm going off in a few weeks to go all around Europe and interview people who've um, uh, built homes on islands. And so I just think that's going to be such fun. And again, nothing that I ever thought would be happening in my life when I was a, a baby actor. Listen, sweetheart, I love you. I have watched you for years. I've known you for a thousand years. And I'm so glad while you're schlepping to Boston, you're on the radio with me. Thank you, honey. Me, Thanks. Have a good too. trip. Thanks. 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 Yeah, lots of love. Thank you, sweetheart. Bye. Bye. The Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Well, we've just gone through Easter. I want to give you some post-Easter thoughts. Sean Penn says, I like the public perception of me that makes people a little too scared to come to the table when I'm out having dinner. It's a nice loving thought, isn't it? And Cindy Crawford, quote, 
The hardest being a supermodel is what goes through your head. You try for some thought, so it's no blank stare when they take your picture. And, Rebecca Roman, at my local Victoria's Secret, I bought twelve pair of underpants. They gave me no discount. It was a hundred and fifty dollars, and they just wanted me to sign their catalog. They didn't take ten cents off. Ah, what can you do? A Floridian previously committing one million dollars is bailing on DeSantis. So I asked why, and I was told he's coming across like a wet armpit. This is a Floridian who had previously committed one million dollars to him. And they said, the reason we are taking away what we were giving him is because he just lost a wrestling match with Minnie Mouse. He wants to be president when he grows up, but first he has to grow up. He is actually as popular as a Yarmulke salesman in Damascus. He should first try to make it up with Disney. This is what I have been told. Okay. I want to tell you, God bless us. Broadway is creeping back. Cabaret is returning. An oldie but a greatie. The Wiz is returning with an all-black cast. Also coming back, Evita, an all-white cast. Also Cats with an all-drag cast. The Critics will meow in a drag ball. I am told that astronomers say June 23 is the longest day of the year. That is, if you don't count the coming Tonys. Okay, I got a few other things to say. You all know, or you've heard, about the Friars Club. It has been the most famous show business operation since the Stone Age. Shakespeare was probably a member of the Friars. Anyway, the Friars Club in New York, it has another place in California, but the New York Clubhouse is the clubhouse. It's on East 55th Street. It has been frequented over the centuries by names like Frank Sinatra, Martin and Lewis. It is now shut tighter than its accounting records. Financial services just added to it a current lawsuit. Once New York's greatest institution, it has become destroyed by those who took it over out of ego and greed. They even lost their trademark. It's tragic. A reporter named Roger Freeman asks what we all ask. How could it have become so ravaged? Here's a little sideline. There is a book called Here to the Friars. I know because it was written by my former husband, my late husband, comedian Joey Adams. Here's to the Friars reports them telling Milton Berle, we need you desperately to, to run our next event. You are the only MC we want. You're the best. Nobody is as great as you. Nobody, nobody, nobody is as terrific as Milton Berle. And Milton Berle said, I can't do it. I'm booked that night. And the friars said, okay, so what do you suggest? That's the friars. The friars is going slowly and has gone into the toilet. Okay, I got a few other things I want to tell you. Representative 
Jim Jordan from some cockamamie state, and he's itching to prosecute Trump. Just called New York City the crime capital. Manhattan, he should know, we're not doing great, but Manhattan has the sixth lowest murder rate among 50 largest municipalities. Columbus, Ohio, a spit from Junkie Jordan's district, the murder rate is three times higher than Manhattan. And nice, shiny Pensacola, Florida, was twice New York's. Our problem in New York is rats, and that includes Congress creature Jordan. Okay, so I'm just telling you these things because I'm just a nice, wonderful person who wants to be loving to everyone. Neil Patrick Harris, who has been guest narrator in SRO's Peter Pan Goes Wrong on Broadway. It's a limited 16-week run. He guests until May 7. In the audience, his special walk-on this week was actually his mom, Sheila. When he asked her, have we ever met before, the house went nuts. It was a great idea for him to do that. Now, also, I want to tell you, we have to stop knocking religion. Our cardinal has said that the amount of people coming in for church has lessened. I remember visiting one little town. On the street, there were two churches. The liberal church sign read, There is no hell. The other church read a sign, The hell there ain't. So how progressive are progressive schools? Two first-grade pupils just got married last month. I'm just telling you all of these things. And I am now about to tell you that at the end of this program, I am going to say goodbye. I am going to say I love you very much for listening. I appreciate all your letters to me. And if you keep sending me letters or saying things you would like me to do or say, I will be very appreciative. I do love hearing from you. And thank you so far for listening to me and for knowing how actually sweet and genteel and loving I am. Actually, I love talking to you. This is Cindy Adams signing off, saying I'll listen to you if you listen to me next week. Bye.